Tonight is part of our series about yoga and healing. We're going to be talking about yoga therapy. My guest tonight is Michael Lee. Michael is a master educator and yogi who founded Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy in 1985 after many years of deep yoga practice, including living for two years as a Kripalu resident and faculty member. There are now over 1,500 Phoenix Rising yoga therapy practitioners throughout the world. Michael is the author of two books, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy, A Bridge from Body to Soul, and Turn Stress into Bliss. He's led workshops and presented at conferences worldwide for the past 27 years. Welcome to Safe Space, Michael. Thank you, Anne. It's good to be with you. The name Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy kind of conjures up images of birds rising from ashes. I'd love to hear what is Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy? If a person comes in for a session, what would they expect? Well, I love the image, as you said, as birds rising up from the ashes, because I think all of us in our life are, um, are kind of like that. We go through life dying to who we've been and being born to who we're becoming. And a Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy session really is designed to capture that process. Uh, so really, it's a, it's a way of using your body as a vehicle for tapping into deeper levels of knowing and understanding. So it's really an awareness-raising tool, but it's, it's using the body as the tool for awareness rather than normally we'd normally think about using talk therapy or some other kind of medium to, uh, to, to garner awareness. But our body is just a, such a true instrument, and uh, the ancient practice of yoga, of course, has been around for a long time. And when you combine that with you know, contemporary dialogue processes, you can basically work through the body and dialogue to get in touch with um, parts of yourself that probably you, you, you wouldn't normally bring to awareness. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of the, of the approach. So when you uh, say you, when you use dialogue as well, do you mean you're sort of having a dialogue with your own body? Yes, primarily. It's, it's really a fo- the body is a focus of awareness. So you might be asked, the therapist would be asking you as you're, as you're engaging a supported yoga posture, uh, what's happening now? And the answer to that might be physical, it might be mental, it might be emotional, it could be anything. But basically you're engaging yourself through your body. So we use a lot of assisted postures where the person is supported into yoga postures and they're designed to suit the person. So you, know, you don't have to be a, a full-on yogini or yogi to, to do it. I mean, anybody can basically participate in this. And then as you're supported at a, at a place where it's not uncomfortable, but it's not too comfortable either. It's just that place where you know that you're engaging your body. We call it the edge in Phoenix Rising. So you're at that place and you're being directed to be present to whatever's happening in the moment. And surprisingly, our bodies open up and start to reveal things about ourselves that we probably wouldn't have otherwise even considered. And I understand that part of what you do is you you invite someone into a pose, you support them there so they feel connected to you, and then uh-huh. you kind of, they hold the pose yes. for perhaps a longer time than they might say in a in a yoga class probably yeah it depends on the person and the situation i mean every session is different so it's really hard to to say but yes basically yeah you'd be there for probably a a little bit longer and it's easier to hold because you're being supported there so maybe you could give me an example just because when you say every every session is different that makes sense to me tell me a story of what you know a person comes to you what the kind of problems a person might come to you for and then how it might go yeah, um, usually people come for various reasons, but generally it's because they, 
there's something not working in their life and they want to do life better. And one particular case that comes to mind is a guy that I work with who all his life he'd been trying hard to do a whole lot of different things with his life and he ended up coming short. You know, there was just nothing that he seemed to be able to do that would really work. Uh, he tried several different jobs, several different careers, several different relationships. I mean, there was just nothing that seemed to, to work out. So we, we started to work together, and I think it was maybe the second or third session. And I was supporting him in a, in a, in a posture where he was, you know, opening up the front part of his body, his chest. And all of a sudden, from deep down inside his belly, there was this, this guttural sound began to, began to emerge. And, and I asked him what was happening, and he said, it's all because of my grandfather. I said, what do you mean? Tell me more. You know, and he, he went on to explain how his grandfather had been this very significant person in his life and had basically you know, set the family standard that if you, don't, you know, if you don't do something brilliant by the time you're in your 20s, uh, then you really don't deserve to be alive. And he hadn't done it yet, and he was in his 40s. He was kind of um, not even aware that he was feeling that, but he, he had created a whole lot of stress for himself that basically through his body in that moment, it revealed to him that he'd been struggling for most of his life to reach a standard that had been set by his grandfather that he'd bought into and was unable to achieve. And it really, had, in, the, in the process of that, had lost sight of himself and what he really wanted to do with his life. So he was trying all these things to meet his grandfather's expectations and really doing nothing, nothing in his life that was about meeting his intentions and his desires. That came to him in a split second. I mean, it was just a split second of awareness that he got from deep inside his belly while his, you know, the front of his body was open. And it sounds like he was genuinely not aware of that beforehand. Not at all. No, no, not at all aware. So what you're saying is that he's in a posture that is at sort of at an edge. He's holding it for a while. And in that context, as he listens to his body, kind of awareness just emerges spontaneously. Yeah. Yeah. The awareness comes from the body. I mean, if you want the theory behind it, I mean, my guess would be that somewhere when we create tension in our in our lives, we also create tension in our body. So for him, probably throughout his life, he'd been holding on in a muscular sense, in probably somewhere in the front side of his body around the abdomen. He'd been holding on, holding this tension about not being able to achieve whatever it was he was supposed to achieve, and that created this this tension. And of course, once once that was opened up. There was a, a release, I mean, probably a, a, through breath. There's a lot of breath work involved in the work as well. So he was breathing deeply and feeling supported. And breathing deeply and feeling supported, he was able in that moment to what we call release or let go uh, into, a, into his body. And in letting go into his body, of course, it just triggered the, the emotional and, and mental connection to that physical holding. So the, the body, the mind, and the emotions are really all connected. And this is just a way of getting to all of it through the body. So part of what strikes me in that story is, you know, so you're there, you're help, you're holding him in this posture, helping support him, and he lets out this sort of guttural sound from his belly. So immediately where my mind was sort of, he must have felt quite safe with you to do that. I mean, I would feel quite shy, I think, to make a guttural sound in my third session, you yeah, know, beginning yeah, a I new therapy. Th there's, there's definitely a... Uh, the, there's a safety element in the work. So, you know, when, when, when we do this kind of work, it's, it's really important that the person feels safe to be present to themselves and to allow their, you know, their whole being to express in a, any way that it might want to. So, you know, this was, this was probably the third time I'd worked with him. And the previous two times, he was basically getting used to 
this way of working and this way of being present to himself through his body. Yeah. I can imagine that for some people, even having you touch them is in itself actually quite Yeah, a that's deal. true. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people and even cultures that are, um, you know, touch is not necessarily uh, regarded as a good thing. And uh, so that, you know, that definitely takes some time. And also, you know, working with children, yeah, there's a process that needs to go, people need to go through to get to the point where that's, you know, that's okay. Is it something you could do without having someone support you physically? Yeah, you actually can. Um, I mean, I, uh, we've developed a, a, uh, an eight-week group program now where we actually guide people through a what would probably, to an outsider, look like a yoga class, except that it's, uh, it's dual process. So it's not just you know, what you do with your body, it's what you do on the inside while you're being present to your body. So there's two processes going on at once, and uh, our practitioners who do our eight-week group facilitator training are trained how to lead that. And it's a, it's a fairly skilled level of, of leading a, a yoga class, so to speak. But they're able to guide people through a session of sequence of yoga postures without any touch involved where uh, the people will do their own inner work as well as uh, you know, connecting it to whatever's happening to them physically. Are there challenges for you, Michael, as the therapist in helping people even get what you mean by listen to your body or have a dialogue with your body. I, I imagine that for some people that concept is so foreign just in itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a foreign concept to most of us. We, we're, we're not taught to do that. You know, we're, we're certainly, you know, there's not, nothing in our education system that says, you know, you can listen to your body and it'll really help you understand yourself and your life. <laughs> we just right. don't do that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a foreign concept to most of us. I mean, we, our language suggests it, right? Because we say things like, I have a gut feeling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and have you ever seen anyone who's uh, got their shoulders curved around in front of them and uh, really be happy? Doesn't just doesn't work. If, you, if you're hunched around your shoulders and you could drop your chin, you, you, it's really hard to be happy. And uh, conversely, you know, if you, if you expand your chest, if you just, you know, I invite any of our listeners right now just to open up your chest and lift your head a little bit and, and smile and see what happens. You know, it, it, it's a different sensation bodily. There's no question about it. And does just correcting it work, or, or do you have to address the reason why the shoulders are hunched forward to begin with? No, it's different for different people. I mean, the, you, you can probably come up with little things like that that are standard for most people most of the time, but there's always exceptions. You know, there's a lot of people who like to say, oh, the left side of your body is the female, the right side of your body is the male, and you know, I've, I've worked with people where that has been completely opposite. So it's, uh, right, you can't the, make assumptions the about body, it. The body is a mystery unto itself, and if you want to learn about it, you just have to really listen to it and listen carefully. And are there, so for someone who doesn't even really know what you mean about listen to your body, how would you, like, just say, just let's just pretend for a second that I'm your client, and I'm with you, and I say, I don't, I don't know what you mean, Michael. What do you mean, listen to my body? How would you teach me what that is? Okay, so I, I think first of all is, is engage it through the breath. Be, be present to yourself through your breath. And as you be present to your breath, just basically tune in to uh, sensations, feelings, whatever's happening in the moment. You know, and the, the, the key question is what's happening now? Because so much of our time we're, we're, we, we don't engage our body because we're outside of our body. We're, we're in our head and we're, we're doing life that's happening on a stage out in front of us. It's not happening inside of us. 
and yet all this material that we need to know to do it better is inside of us, not outside of us. And unfortunately, we look outside for the answers rather than inside. So just to, just to slow down, to take, take some time to be present to yourself every day, um, to just be with your body and, and don't try and do anything with it or make it do anything, just be with it. And then after a while, get to start moving it. And as you start to move it and uh, experience it in that way, then you know, begin to listen and, and just tune in. When you say notice what's happening now, do you mean yep. notice like, oh, it's a little tight there, that actually kind of hurts, I'm feeling panicky that this is about to break something? Is it that kind of feeling or maybe, is it more? Maybe it is. It's, diff- it's very different for different people. Um, ah. Some people will tune into their body and immediately uh, feel emotions. Some people will never feel an emotion for, you know, months of tuning into their body. Some people will immediately go to thoughts and, or try to explain things. If you tend to be a more heady person, you'll try and explain what's happening as it's happening. But you'll begin to notice that. You'll notice that too, and you'll notice that that's a pattern in your life. And, um, I see. You know, then you'll notice, well, you know, maybe there's choice around that. Do I really need to do that? And that's where the old practitioner comes in because basically all awareness is good awareness. All awareness is valuable. It's just a question of how you then connect that awareness to your life. So part of what interested me in your book was that you describe, and actually maybe this is a moment to ask you about how you stumbled upon this, Michael, because as far as I can tell, yoga therapy is sort of happening more and more, but you, you, my understanding is you're the first person to really create a systematic approach to yoga as therapy. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like I, I like that uh, suggestion. And <laughs> perhaps, I, I, as far as I know, in the United States, we were the first, Phoenix Rising was the first yoga therapy training program with a mind-body focus that really, you know, went in the direction of using yoga as a tool for self-awareness and life enhancement. Well, yeah, so tell I, I me that, that story. story. Tell me that story, Michael. How did you stumble upon this in your How own life? How did I get there? Yeah, well, it was definitely an experience. I mean, it, pretty much all of the work is based on uh, direct experience. Pretty much of it is things that have happened to me and the way that I've, you know, learned about myself through yoga and um, this the one particular incident was after I'd, I'd been living in an ashram for about a year and a half to two years, and um, I was actually doing a postgraduate study in yoga as a therapeutic tool. So I used myself as a self-study, and uh, so I was doing a lot of practice. I was probably practicing three, four hours of yoga a day, and there was one day where I was working with another person, and we used to do things together. Just eh, Sometimes we'd play with things and try things out, I was in a particular posture and I was using a wall as a support and going over to one side and had this incredible sensation in my hip as I was engaging the posture at, at what we call the edge. So it wasn't too much, wasn't too little, but it was, it was really a, a very profound sensation in my body physically. And I was at that place where I would normally just say, that's enough of that, let's get on with the next thing. But my friend was there and he put his hand on my chest and he said, just stay with it and breathe for a few moments and see what happens. And so I did. And then, you know, I got this kind of flash of awareness. And it was just a, an immediate flash of seeing myself as an eight-year-old kid, you know, in a school playground and getting beaten up by some kind of older kids who decided to, to take it to me. And feeling the, you know, just feeling the, the fear and the anxiety and the, the panic and the, all of the things that went with that, you know, that experience. And I'd completely forgotten about that. I mean, it was blocked. It was a memory that I had probably blocked out in my, in my conscious mind. 
but there it was. And when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, I, I remember when I was a kid at school that something like that happened. And so for the next few days, I kind of processed it and uh, just sort of asked myself more about that experience. And uh, there, was, there was a more physical reaction as well. And my friend had to go to a meeting, so we didn't get to sort of sit and process it right in the moment. But I, I decided to journal about it and did a lot of writing about it and just let it flow and came to the awareness that, you know, I was pretty much afraid of big people. And big people in my life could be anyone who had the power to influence my life in any way. Uh, I used to kind of keep my distance from people like that because I, I didn't want to get beaten up again. And uh, I'd been doing that for, you know, some 30, 30 to 40 years of my life and not realizing that I was doing it. So I had a, had a kind of fear around certain people who had power. And with that awareness, I was able to then move forward and think, well, you know, I'm a big person now too. I don't have to, I don't have to fear the big people. You know, as a result of that, my life changed pretty dramatically. Uh, it's a very, I, it's a very moving story, Michael. And I find myself, you know, there's a huge debate in the th- in the talk therapy community about what is the change agent. You know, what is the thing that really makes a difference about talk therapy? And listening to you, I can't help think, was it the awareness that I'm afraid of big people that changed it, or was it somehow that your ability to tolerate or bear the intensity of that feeling of that fear in your body yeah. meant meant that you could manage whatever anxiety you then had with big people later in a way that transformed how you would behave. I mean, I found myself wondering, is it the awareness or is it your yeah. capacity to be present through that intense sensation and feeling? I wish I could give you a definitive answer, but I, I you know, I, I can speak for myself. I mean, in, in that experience for me, I would say that, yeah, I definitely knew that I could go through the, I could go through that same pain and, and come out on the other, other side of it alive and well in a way that was probably helpful to me and not needing to fear it anymore. And, I, and I've seen the same thing with other people too. In fact, even the earlier, the earlier example I gave you about the guy with his, with his grandfather, I mean, similar kind of thing. I mean, I think at, at the point where he, he kind of gets it out of his system, you know, and, and, and realizes he doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to live that way anymore, you know. And I think it's, it's a lot to do with the body memory being released. You know, there's a release. We're holding tension and then we no longer need to hold it anymore. So there's a connection there between body and mind as well. The body says, it's, you know, it's safe. You can do this. And so the, uh, you can let go of this and you'll still be okay. And then that communicates from the body to the mind to the emotions and so forth. And it's like, yeah, you know, I can, I can actually change. And that's why I, I really believe that the longest and best change that, that happens to me comes through my body. You know, it's really... Whatever happens to me through my body, whatever learning comes to me that way is usually is usually pretty profound and usually lasts for a while. Whereas I can get great advice from people; they can say, "Oh, well, you don't need to do that anymore," and it can be all words, and that's great. But I, I'm still going to go back tomorrow and do the same old, same old because I haven't really learned at a at a complete mind, body, spirit level. And you, in your book, you talk about, you know, how you'd been working with organizations and been a teacher before you came to yoga, and you had this kind of set of questions that you used after, you know, as you put it, when you journaled after this experience with your friend. Are there questions, so just say someone has a therapy session, they're in a body position, they're in a posture, they, they're at the edge, they stay with it, some feeling and awareness comes up, and then... They have this, this release of tension as you're describing it. Are there then dialogue questions that you think are, are particularly useful for people to use in listening to themselves afterward? 
Yeah, well, we have an inter- integration process that goes with each experience, and part of that integration process, really, the key question is, you know, what you experienced here, how does it, how does it kind of connect to your life? How does it tie in? You know, then there's also questions we ask about people. Well, well, you know, we, we get, when we go through our body to get awareness, we get pretty vulnerable. There's a real vulnerability with, with this whole process. And um, I think it's important to recognize that. So it's, it's really important that a safe space is created uh, around the process. And that's a big part of what we do in our training program with our practitioners is how to create that safe space. I'm very interested in that, Michael, because, as you know, this is called Safe Space Radio. I know. That's one of the reasons I was so happy to be on this interview. It's (laughs) it's like a a beautiful concept. And actually, several of our practitioners commented on that, too, when I put it on our website and said I was going to be on Safe Space Radio. They said, what a great place for you. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm so curious. You know, I'm, I'm learning from you even as we speak. And I'd love to hear from you. What are the things you teach Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy practitioners about how to create safe space? very much based on, I guess, the work of Carl Rogers, which he called unconditional positive regard in his uh, education and therapy work. Uh, We call it loving presence, but it's basically the same or similar thing. It's a way of being present without interfering. It's a way of being present with being unconditionally present and basically treating the individual as though whatever's going on for them is perfectly imperfectly perfectly imperfect put it that way we're all imperfect but there's there's something perfect about us all being imperfect uh, sort of trusting that whatever's happening now is just right we're just going to stay right. with it it's a- absolutely where you need to be and i'm okay with it and i'm going to be here with you and it's absolutely fine and that that i think creates a very uh yeah it creates a safe space and through that safe space comes opening and particularly when you're working through the body because you know, the, the body is, is, is pretty direct. It's, it's probably, the, you know, you can use your mind to kind of talk yourself out of awareness, but to use your body, it's right there. It's in your face, and you can't really run away from it. Part of what I, I like, I'm touched by when you say unconditional positive regard, and then you, you said we call that loving presence. Something that I teach the residents I work with often is that real healing doesn't really happen without love. That love is actually, I think, essential for actual healing. Yeah. This is not taught in, general, in psychiatry residencies generally. But I'm struck by how did you come to that idea that, that love, loving presence is so important? Well, I think part of that I'm, I, I have to attribute to my parents. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think they, they gave me a really good, uh, a, a good deal. And I, and I felt a lot of that when I was a kid growing up. And it kind of gave me permission to to be myself in, in probably ways that I might not have otherwise. And so I guess it's just something that I learned to do for myself. And so then I thought, well, if I can do that for myself, give myself the space to be who I am, then maybe there's a way we can do that for other people. I was particularly touched by Carl Rogers, actually, in my college work and so on, in, in the study and so on. I, was, I thought... You know, here's a guy who, he doesn't really know it, but he was a yogi because he was able to be present to people in a way that very much is about letting go of anything external that's going to interfere with the moment. Letting Uh, go of being the expert who knows the right thing to do. Exactly, exactly. Being in a perfect place of not knowing and being able to be okay with that and to be able to let the other person know that that was also okay. You know, and that's... uh, it's just a really beautiful, I think it's a beautiful gift to be able to give other people. It's and actually much harder than learning how to be an expert, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's much, it is. It actually is. And in fact, in our training program, 
uh, a lot of the focus is on how to unlearn being the expert and how to learn to not be the expert and how to be there uh, in a way that really helps or allows for the person to, to be present to themselves. And there's a real carryover too. Like if, if, if you model loving presence for your client, then it's going to rub off and the client is then going to be facilitated in being more lovingly present to themselves. And of course, the more they can do that, the more they're going to be open to being uh, aware of what's happening in the moment and using whatever that is to, to work with it without feeling like uh, you know shame, guilt, blame, or whatever else we might go through as uh, part right. of that process. So we're almost near the end of our time, Michael, and I want to ask you two more quick questions, if I can squeeze them both in. The first is, I can imagine a yoga therapy session where, say, you were supporting me in a posture, say, where maybe I didn't have some amazing kind of cathartic release of tension, but you just helped me stay with something very uncomfortable and that that in itself would have great value. Do oh, you, yeah. Do you find that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, believe me, all, all sessions are not deeply profound. I mean, uh, some can, you know, on the surface you can just think, well, not much happened there, you know, and I've had lots of those. And then, you know, the next day the client will call and say, wow, you can't believe what happened last night. I went home and I threw dishes on the floor. <laughs> and I'll say, you did what? How did that happen? You know, they said, yeah, I just got in touch with this anger that I'd been feeling all my life, and all of a sudden it came out. Right, so sometimes you can't always tell from the outside what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you can't. And it's, it doesn't, while nothing might appear to happen in the session, oftentimes things will happen later on. Of course, my, Michael, some people hearing you might not think that throwing dishes on the floor was like such a, a, an advance. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I can't help but mention that little detail. Well, let, I, I better finish off the story by saying the person concerned, the person who had that experience, uh, you know, was very grateful later on. She, uh, she, she felt like it was a, an amazing event in her life that she was able <laughs> to do that because she's the kind of person who would... I'm glad. All right, we're going to have to stop at one last quick thing, which is that okay. in general, when you're doing yoga therapy with someone, is it standalone therapy and that is their therapy? Is it someone who's often in talk therapy as well? What's the relationship between talk therapy and yoga therapy? Yeah, a lot of our practitioners work uh, adjunctively, you know, with, with, uh, with, with talk therapists and others. Um, I mean, we do not train Phoenix Rising practitioners to be therapists in the sense of psych uh, you would consider a psychotherapist a therapist. Uh, we don't treat, we don't diagnose, um, we don't, you know, try and figure out what's wrong with people or any of those kinds of things. So, you know, if, if someone is presenting symptoms that really need the, the support of a skilled uh, expert in their field, like a psychotherapist, then we'll definitely work with them uh, and with the client. And a lot, of, a lot of our practitioners do that. People who are just handling life pretty well okay and basically want more uh, and want to learn how to do life better, and basically they're, they're just people going through the school of life, then this therapy works great as a standalone. I want to thank you so much. It's, it's fascinating. I, w I could keep talking to you for such a long time, but I, we need to end. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more about this, I understood. Tell me the address of your website. Yeah, it's uh, pryt.com for Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy, pryt.com. Great. And I want to just mention again Michael Lee's two books, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy, A Bridge from Body to Soul, and which is a fascinating description of individual yoga therapy and Turn Stress into Bliss, which I understand is a description of a kind of eight-week group program in yoga therapy. So those are great resources for people who want to find out more. 
I want to thank tonight Jen Hodston for mixing the sound and Maurice Lennon for the music. I also want to thank Deb Cook, who is a Kripalu yoga teacher and the founder of Yoga in Maine, who offers classes, workshops, and retreats in beautiful places in Maine and beyond, who's been my consultant for this series. If you'd like to learn more about the show or if you'd like to email this show to someone else who you think needs to hear it, please go to our website at www.safespaceradio.com. And you can find all 156 shows there in the history of Safe Space Radio. You can also sign up to get a weekly email reminder with the link to that week's show. And you can like us on Facebook and you can download us from iTunes. Coming up next is a special show on suicide prevention.